Got a big one to end off the week. Harris Cuppy Cupperman. Welcome to Grizzle, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, I appreciate this, man. You're the man of the hour, the man of the month. <laughs> this is a big one. Uh, the amount of, like, just, I obviously, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, everyone, thank you for joining on Twitter. If you're seeing this on Twitter, please give it the retweet. Let the world know what's going down with uranium. We got Cuppy dropping the heat, man. I watched this live. You know what? When I see... Grand Slam action, like I saw this month with what, what you dropped. I was incredible. We're going to talk about uranium, but we're going to talk about your process as well. We're going to talk about commodities, anti-ESG, lots to go down. Uh, I'm following Twitter. I'll be following that, like, so you can drop questions. I'll try, to, I'll try to weave them in as we see them. And also on YouTube, same thing there. Guys, hit that like. Let people know what's going down. Let people know the uranium trade is on. Copy what's happening, man. Uh, thank you. So tell us, so first of all, you're president of Pretoria hey. Capital. You're author of the phenomenal blog, Adventures in Capitalism. If you're not signed up for that, go sign up, adventuresincapitalism.com. And you are the publisher of Cuppy's Event Driven Monitor. Uh, thank you for coming, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Really do. Yeah. So I thought I'd, I, you know, for folks who don't know, uh, would love to get some background on how you look at the world from an investing lens. If inflection and event-driven investing is how you categorize your style. Let us uh, help us understand what that exactly is, and uh, yeah, just just flesh that all out for us and your and your process. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, the, there's too many computers in the world. There's too many smart people. Anything that's happening in the world, it, it's on the Bloomberg already. It's all. Uh, everyone knows what's going backwards. And most people know what's going forwards. The opportunities are in situations where there's an inflection, where the data isn't very clear, where in the business, whether that's you know change in uh, cyclical business, where the commodity price, or a, a secular change, or something that changes the cap structure, something that changes you know the new CEO coming in. When you're looking at it's changing, something that's changing dynamically, and you're saying this company's going in a different direction because the Bloomberg can't see that, you can't model that, you can't figure it out. You know, the best case, the worst case, the middle case, they're too wide. Right. That's where the opportunities are these days. And it's that it's and identifying that is obviously an is is that an art that you you've really honed through the years? I know you have the event driven moderate. Help us understand how you find those those squeeze points because clear and I think one point that you've stated which which is phenomenal that whole idea of lazy cap lazy capital right? You know, having you you don't want to be stuck on trades that aren't doing anything for you. And that as as an investor matures, that's one of the the challenges everyone deals with. Well, everything I do, I want to have a big, strong tailwind. If it's going nowhere, it's tying up my money. Um, look how I've done this. I've, I've been doing this for more than 20 years. I've just seen these cycles. They repeat over and over again. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about uranium. This is my second uranium cycle already, you know? Right. <laughs> Ten years from now, I'm going to have my third cycle. Like, this <laughs> stuff just repeats. Well, you, you have to know where you are. Well, and the big difference yeah. between you and other uranium bulls is that You'll come in and out of the trade, which is very different than that, you know, uranium Bible thumping. Uh, I'm in this forever, which, which again, you know, both sides are, you know, everyone adds to the market, but you take a real tactical view on commodities and, and investing in general. Yeah, you need to have a catalyst. Otherwise, it's dead money. Look, I know a lot of people have been talking about uranium for five years. It was a great trade five years ago. It just went nowhere. You needed something to unlock the, the, the trade. You needed something to make it start going. And when you see that, that's when you get in. And 
I think I've just been good at finding when these things inflect. Uh, like I said, I've done this a long time. They kind of all follow a similar pattern. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with waiting for the inflection. Right. And, and right now, um, so you had that great Bitcoin trade. Maybe talk us through where, where your head's at right now in inflection investing, uh, where you're seeing the opportunities. Obviously, we're going to get onto uranium, but how, how you're viewing that lens today. Well, I mean, inflection investing, I think the biggest opportunities right now come from where the world is cycling from 30 years of interest rates declining to a period with inflation. I don't think most of the world's ready for it. And most people might be doing first order effects, but no one's looking at second and third order effects. And there's going to be squeeze points. There's going to be huge opportunities. Remember, you know, everything the government touches goes to crap. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great quote. I mean, it's so simple, but it's so true. And so if the government's going to go out there and start meddling with stuff and, you know, they're going to play with, you know, COVID and germs and employment and stimmies, as they start meddling and doing dumb things, there's going to be other places you can make money. It's so easy. You just have to sit there literally with some friends over beers and say, if the government does this, what happens six months later? Yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> and right. so. But most of the most of the uh, you know people on Wall Street they look at the world linear. You know, yeah. Apple sold this many phones last year; they'll sell this many more this year. I mean, the, the thirteen is out. It's the same as the twelve. Do I need another phone? Like, <laughs> and there is a, there is an, you, look at these, and there isn't even an, an extra camera. It's crazy, right? <laughs> but what they do is they build their spreadsheet and they just kind of go forward and they go forward another year and that's great. You know, Apple's been great for people. It'll be great for ten more years. What I do is really try to say what's going to happen next quarter and how do we get in, in the way of it and make a lot of money. And, you know, if the government's going to be doing stupid things and they seem yeah. a lot more aggressive lately, then that's where the opportunities are. And so, you know, that, that's where I'm putting my capital. And I think most guys on Wall Street, they're still just thinking, you know, 10 percent growth, you know, this year, next year. It's not familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this, you know, I, one thing you you've stated, it's just that previous lens of compounders i'd love to get your take on compounders versus you know being much far more dynamic how do you how do you view like compounders in this new age of inflation which i think completely agree with you where people are still about to digest this like looking at power prices in europe people don't know what is in store for everyone right now inflation wise well i mean compounders work when the world is predictable and the world grows a few percent every year yeah you know, it doesn't work when the rules change. I mean, does it work at 5% inflation? Does it work if oil goes to 200? Does it work if nat gas goes from two to six? Yeah. Like the world is volatile right now. And I don't think businesses can plan for tomorrow. You know, we're just finishing Delta. Are we going to have Echo? Are we going to have Lambda? Like, <laughs> yeah, who right. knows? <laughs> how do you build, how do you invest in compounders? It's too weird and unpredictable. And so, you know, I, I think what I'm doing is actually working a lot better these days. Right on. Um, and, and right now, it feels like there's just this inflation. How, how, how much legs do you think this inflation trade has specifically as, as you think about commodities? It, like, it's, it, to me, it feels like we're still relatively early innings, third. You know, we're, we're, we've still got a lot of digestion to do before monetary policy catches up, if it, if it ever will, in, an, in, a, in a reactionary way. Yeah, look, I don't think monetary policy is catching up. I mean, they're still doing QE and look around you. I mean, my friends are calling me cuppy. You were right. You know, you were talking about inflation five years ago. Everything went up 30% this year. Like what are those assholes doing talking about, you know, 3%? It's crazy. <laughs> right, right, right. right. 
No, I don't. I mean, the first step to fixing a problem is recognizing you have a problem. And I don't think these guys even realize that they've caused the problem. No, I think we're going to see a lot of inflation. Normally, inflation comes uh, from too much demand. We have that problem. Yeah, yeah. I think inflation this time will be uh, not enough supply also. You're going to get hit from both sides. Right, right. And 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 maybe this is a good segue actually to that to that point around ESG. You know, so but I, I was telling Copy earlier, you know, I'd, so I'd managed commodities, uh, all the commodity resource funds, but also I'd done sustainability and ESG. And I, I know a lot of things you're talking about in terms of, just investors leaving leaving these uh, you know leaving these sectors flat out and and the increase of cost of capital in in these sectors and ultimately you just haven't seen the investment in the ground that's been a huge problem yeah I mean look let's look at oil okay because that's yep. the the big daddy that drives it all you know uh, pirates took over Exxon Mobil and told them to stop drilling yep. you know a court took over uh, Shell and told them to stop producing oil yesterday uh, Los Angeles County told everyone to stop producing oil. You know, if you start whack-a-mole going around and telling everyone to stop producing oil, right. it happens in five years. You know, there's not enough oil. It's, it's Sometimes investing is so easy. Yeah. And, um, oh, look, I mean, why did oil, why was it so successful last decade that there was too much and the price of oil got really cheap? It's because interest rates went low and everyone went looking for yields. They all yeah. went to the Permian and they bought these, uh, you know, high interest rate bonds. And the guys kept drilling for oil because the money was free. Yeah. And... Um, you know, eventually that game ended, but that's why we had too much shale. They, they, I mean, they gave the money for free. Well, now there's no money available. I mean, so many funds these days are ESG funds. They can't even own oil. No. I mean, who's going to fund the next oil well? I, I don't know. Right. And, you know, Congress is now, I mean, Congress is now talking about uh, telling crazy. I mean, where's, where's the money going to come from? Right, right, right. It, it, it's, it's, it, and, and that really, that's the, the fodder for this. And ultimately what you're ending up doing is you're just increasing the, you're increasing the price of everything, right? Like ultimately, it, like when I think about commodities, it's the classic, you want to keep investing in the lowest cost end of the curve, right? It's going to cost X to, you know, you want to keep investing in the lowest uh, places, lowest cost places to pull out those commodities. But what's happening with renewables and the like, what you're ending up doing is funneling money to the most highest incremental cost. And that ultimately increases prices for everyone. Right. It's, 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 just, it's a disaster. Look, I think commodity prices are going to go up. And this isn't just, you know, oil. I mean, let's look at like lithium. You know, right. it's hard to get a permit to build a lithium mine. That's a green energy. You know, that's a, that's a green commodity. You can't even produce that. I mean, how are you going to have EVs if the, if the lithium costs too much? So it, it's, it's everywhere. It's not just, you know, oil and coal. Everyone that's likes true. to, you know, those are bad boys. But right. you can't even get lithium. You can't get a lot of, you know, you can't, you know, uranium. It's hard to get a permit to produce uranium. That's, uh, you know, no carbon electricity. How are you going to charge your car? They've screwed up the entire periodic table of elements. You know, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's, it's like literally you could put a position on every one of those elements. And that's probably a reason. That, that's probably the new index investing, periodic index, right? Periodic table. Look, there's a reason my funds had a great year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're commodity bulls, specifically copper. Uh, but, you know, the, so I'll say flat out, you know, I was watching the uh, watching this uranium trade play through and I'm like, damn, it, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I was talking to Scott and we were like, listen, we got to swing. We got to swing into natural. I, I just felt like I, you know, it was a tough spot to get into uranium just, you know, over the last two weeks. And it just felt like it was just moving. And I felt, listen, I got to get into natural gas in a meaningful way. But it's it's been incredible what's what's happened. It's like every successive day, I'm like, 
there's base loads going up 50% in Germany or, you know, you, you just, there's every data point is just flagging, you know, uh, red, red, red. The, the more recent news is fertilizer production, right? Curtailing fertilizer production because natural gas prices are so high. We're, we're, we're compressing this. Like, the impact period is so small right now. It, it feels like this could all happen in, in quick succession. I think it's just going to keep going. I mean, this is the early innings, you know. In the end, uh, people got used to knowing that their lights would turn on and that, you know, gas will be $2 a gallon. People just got so used to it. And the politicians didn't realize that the mistakes they made last decade would take a decade to finally matter. But that, that's the latency. And when they go to fix it, it's going to take a decade to fix it. And they haven't even realized it's a problem yet. They're still making it worse. No, I think this is a great long-term trend. I think uh, we're the early innings. It's scary. For sure. And, and uh, so can, can I drill into the uranium trade here? Just could you give us a bit of history on uh, you? You obviously had a long history with the commodity. Just give us the setup on where, you know, how you got back into it, where, how you were set up before. Talk us through through the playbook here. Sure. I mean, look, I played uranium 2003. It was it was great to me. You know, I made a lot of money. Um, and then, like all things with commodities, if the price goes up, they produce too much of it. And it was terrible for 10 years. And right. you know, I, I followed it. I made a lot of money. I, I know these things go into cycle. So I yeah. followed it for a while, but it never felt right. And then, you know, in 2019, uh, you know, Cameco, one of the very large mining companies, they took a couple mines offline, a couple of other mines, you know, closed down because you know, when the price of uranium goes to 25 and it costs 50 or 60 to produce it, eventually you go bankrupt. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. It, that, that's how the process works. And so they, they closed the mines and global production right now is about 125 million pounds. There's some secondary supply, let's call it 150 total. And global demand is like 180, 185. It's about 30-ish million deficit. And they're building a bunch of nuclear power plants. By the end of this decade, it's over 200 million they need. Further, we've that, reached 150. And is that, so, I, you know, I, I followed utilities in North America and, and Europe and specifically North America. You know, we it's just been really hard to get new nuclear plants for, for a lot of the same reasons. You have the NIMBY, be it mining, be it, you know, pipelines, but it's it's impacted nuclear as well. Is that all emerging market? Is, is that China predominantly? That's mostly China and India, but there's other countries, you know, UAE just turned one on. Um, Look, in the end, green energy is the future. I think everyone understands that. But, you know, the sun doesn't always shine and it's sometimes not windy. And the battery technology still needs another 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And you need baseload. And you can either go with coal, but, you know, that's dirty. You can go with nat gas, which is cleaner. Or you go with nuclear, which is the cleanest. And I think people are going to decide nuclear is the solution. And I think you're going to see a lot more nuclear. Uh, it's just inevitable, I think. Yeah. And so what you're seeing is countries that need power because their population needs more power, they're going to keep building nuclear power plants, which is why, you know, uranium demand is going to keep growing. We're also seeing, though, like Illinois, they just announced that two nuclear power plants that were supposed to close down this year, they got extensions. Uh, right. You know, it's an old plant that can just keep going, and that's the only way they're going to get the electricity they need, you know. Illinois doesn't want to be California, right? No, no. So, yeah. um, well, you know, and, and that's the challenge, right? Because, you know, they have all these grand plans to, you know, sunset nuclear, sunset coal. But when, you, you know, when push comes to shove, where's that where where's that baseload going to come from? And it, it's very hard, which, which, you know, I've taken the bullish natural gas. It's that it's the midway point. It's not coal. Obviously, it, it you know, doesn't need the long lead time of nuclear. It, it's, it's a nice middle point. But I think right now we're in a unique spot where, uranium not gas you get you know you get these 
power producing commodities that 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 just have a, have a beautiful tailwind behind them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, so that's my view on uranium. You know, if you're gonna use thirty million more than you produce each year, eventually you're gonna run out. Yeah, and you know, it, it's been happening now for three years, but it hasn't really mattered yet. And then, uh, real recently, uh, Sprott, which is a large bank in Canada, they took over control of uh, uranium participation. They renamed it uh, Sprott Physical, yep. and they started raising capital for it. They launched an at-the-market offering, which basically issues shares every day, and they use the, the money to buy uranium. And since they did this, and this is only about a month ago, yeah. they raised $413 million. You know, that's as of you know, Thursday. Yeah. Uh, you know, they uh, bought 9.4 million pounds of uranium. So remember, you have a 30 million deficit and 9.4 million that was, you know, there waiting to be used at power plants is now in a warehouse, Sprott owns. Wow. And they're going to keep just Pac-Manning away at this. You know, they bought 1.4 million pounds Thursday. Today's probably going to be a slower day, but Jeez, look, they got 32 million of cash <laughs> left over that they still have to spend. And so just Sprott showing up is taking the price of uranium from 30 to 50. In a month that's crazy that's and it exactly. shows you that the market really isn't that deep it's for so long what you've had is no price discovery because there was always a bit too much in the warehouses and those guys i mean they didn't want to own the uranium they they, they wanted to sell it and get the cash and do something else and so you needed sprott to really allow price discovery and now we're seeing price discovery you're seeing utilities that are waking up and they're saying hey look we've ran down our inventory we have to buy some more and, uh, you know, they were waiting there for 25 when, you know, uranium was at 30. And every time it go down a few dollars, they buy a few more pounds. Suddenly they're saying, hey, we have to pay up. That, that's, that's, you know, what changes in a bull market. What I've done very well in my career is I look at assets that are down a bunch. They usually, you know, they kind of get sleepy. They trade in a small range. They kind yeah. of bounce around, do nothing. People stop talking about them. Yeah. I wait for that first moment, you know, it's this little range. That first moment, it pokes its head up a little. Yep. And that's when I get excited. That, that tells you something's changing the trend. It usually leads to uh, upside. And then, you know, it, it's never going to be a straight up. It's going to be bouncy. It's going to be volatile. But when you see that first little bit of strength, that's when I get excited. And that's when I came in. Yeah. You know, so my mentor, you know, I follow in commodities. He just said, listen, follow, follow the banged out commodities, just based out, right? You know, not, not you don't want to want the ones that keep going down. You just wait till it follows based out. It's okay to miss the first 10 to 20% off the bottom. Make sure the cattle, you just make sure the drivers are there and, you know, then pile in, but you know, you have time on your side and it, you don't need to be buying, you know, when the, the price has been banged out for such a long time, because you don't know when that catalyst is going back to exactly what you're saying. You just buy, you know, buy that first pop up and make sure that, that you have the catalyst set up. And in, in uh, that sounds exactly like what you're saying. Now, one question I do have is, so we have this structural deficit, 30 million and what do we understand how much is stockpiling? I just want to just understand the full the full balance here. Is there is there a ton of inventory globally or is that unknown? No one knows. That, that's right. part of what makes commodities so interesting. You know, no everyone kind of knows it's like 150 and 180, but it's you know, yeah. it can be a few million different. But really the question is how much still is left uh, out there? Because remember, once Sprott gets all of it and you know they're on a mission to get all of it then you know the next pound that a utility needs they're going to have to go pay a lot more for and um we don't know how much is left i've heard from very smart people it's more than five less than 25 but i don't know you know sprott uh, bought a few million this uh week it pushed the price up clearly they're having an impact but yeah 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 so, don't really know. so okay, just from that price action you've got to assume that we're get, sprott is getting close to a point with its firepower 
you know, or and and further purchases that it, it could potentially have. You know, it could have it could have a significant part of wh- whatever spare, co- you know, whatever uh, you know uh, inventory is on the global market right now. Right. I mean, I think we're getting closer to that point. You have to remember, you know, the world's, you know, if you have a 30 million deficit, you're using 3 million a month. That's that's pounds that aren't being produced. You know, even when the mines turn back on, it's going to take two or three years for them to start producing. Yeah. yeah. You have this gap in, in time where not enough uranium and, uh, you know, the utility is going to have to go pay up a lot for the uranium. You know, Sprott, you know, it can sell the uranium back, but it's probably not going to. It's not the way they would structure it. And you know, there's other entities, you know, there's Yellow Cake in the UK. They do a similar thing. Some of the, uh, the mining companies here in uh, North America, they have stockpiles in physical, like Uranium Royalty or Denison. And then, you, you know, you have, um, you know, you even have some of the companies like Cameco, which are almost short uranium in a way. You know, they've sold forward uranium that they don't produce. They were planning to buy it in the open market. And they're going to have to go now into the open market like they were planning, but pay a lot much higher price. So that's just added kind of buying. But right. I think you're going to see something of a squeeze, you know. Um, in, the, in the end, there's a couple hundred million gap of, uh, you know, a d- demand versus production over the next couple of years that is going to have to be filled somehow. And I don't really know how it's going to get filled, especially if Sprott's out there buying a million pounds a day. You know? right. that's, that's just basically making the short interest. If a utility... Um, doesn't have contracts in hand to buy uh, uranium and they don't have uranium in hand, they're, they're kind of short uranium, you know? Right. Because they have to go into the market and buy it. It's, it's, it's almost like a short. And, and uh, so, you know, it, it's just basically just making the market shorter. And, and you know, I, you had a great line there about, you know, the psyche of, of a utility operator who I, <laughs> I know very, very well. But, you know, they are quasi-government employees, right? They don't want to take career risk here, right? Right, right. I mean, look, uh, no one gets a bonus for getting uranium at, you know, 30 versus 35, like, you know, you you have a plan, your board of directors says when you're going to go buy it, and they tell you not to run out, obviously. I mean, you get fired for running out, though. Right. You don't get a bonus. So all of a sudden, you know, physical is at 50, and some of these utility guys are waking up, they're saying, what's this spot thing? You know, they hadn't even thought about it. It's it's been (laughs) going for a month now, and it's buying all the physical they were counting on, and they hadn't even thought about it. And so when we put it all together, where, where we're sitting right now, high 40s, uh, 49, 47. Um, where, how, how does this play out? Is this like a quick squeeze just with Sprott in the market every day? I'm just, I'm just trying to see, how, and where do you ultimately see this going? I think this is going to last a while. Look, uh, the big mine that needs to restart is MacArthur River. Mm-hmm. If they flip the switch today, I think it's two years before you even get it going, and it takes three years to hit nameplate. And that's if it all goes right, and it's never going to go right. Um, so you have this period of time where there's no new supply coming and, you know, every minute that goes by, uranium's getting used up, Sprott's buying some more, yellow cake's buying some more. I think this is going to go on for a while. I mean, look, it's just gone from 30 to 50. These things don't go in a straight line. It, it's probably going to pull back a little. I mean, it's almost inevitable or maybe yeah, it consolidates. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I really do think this keeps going because if Sprott keeps going out there and they keep buying, I don't know where that's going to come from. And it's going to probably come from a higher price where someone that already owns it says, okay, I'll give it to you. And eventually you're going to have the utilities that are going to come into the market because they do it every quarter. And they say, you know, we need a hundred thousand pounds this quarter. And then they go, oh shit, you know, uranium went up and they don't care. You know, the, the actual cost of uh, is one or 2% of uh, the cost of power. They don't really care what price they pay. They just pay the price. And so they'll go on and they'll keep buying. But what I think really happens is they look at it going up 
they realize that the risk is they get fired if they ever run out. And instead of buying the normal 100,000 they buy every quarter, they go buy a million. You know, they also just basically start fighting for pounds just because they don't want to run out. They, they take their inventory. If you look at the last cycle, we've had some uh, mine floods. And what happened is a lot of utilities panicked and thought they would run out of uranium. They all went into the market and bought way more than they ever needed. Okay. And the end result is you have this glut that's taken a decade to go away. Mm. I think the same thing will happen. These guys will go buy more than they need, and they'll just basically squeeze each other. I mean, that, that's, that's how you got yeah. uranium last time going from 12 bucks to 150 Right, right. So, so you're seeing you're seeing that setup right now. Like the tea leaves are pointing for that kind of, you know, where utilities are like, I'm just bidding. I'm I'm in the market. I'm just bidding. You know, it. it I need it. Right. Not, not yet. Okay. Not yet. It, not yet. The utilities don't know what's even going on. I mean, apparently one of the utilities called up Sprott and they asked what an ATM is. <laughs> I mean, they're just figuring out that there's a problem. You know. <laughs> But look, if you're but if you're a utility buyer and you know you're watching and you know you have to buy some and you wait, okay, the price is thirty. Let's wait. Oh, it's twenty-seven. Okay, let's get a little. It's twenty-five. Let's get a little more. It's back to thirty. Let's not buy any. They've been doing this for ten years. They just got used to it, and so and they're not used to having to chase. They're all saying, okay, that's a bunch of day traders. Let it go away. In three months, we'll be back at twenty-five. It'll take some time for the psychology of the utilities to change and have them start saying. Hey, wait a second. We have to pay the market. It's yeah. not coming back. So, in terms of how you're playing this uh, over the next coming months, is that primarily through Sprott, the Uranium Trust, or how, how how should like what do you think is the most efficient way to play this? Well, I can't give uh, you know investment advice, but I'll tell yeah. you what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I own uh, I own Sprott. Um, it. It's the cleanest way to play it for me. I'm a big believer that the price of uranium goes higher because Sprott intends to corner the market. Yeah. I mean, they, they basically said that, you know, <laughs> they, they, they said they intend to corner the market. I, yeah. They're one of the biggest banks in Canada and it's a very small market. I think they'll succeed. Um, in terms of, you know, the producers, I own some Kazatomprom. It's the world's largest producer. They're the lowest cost producer. I think they'll do quite well. And, and it so, has so, done quite well. What, sorry, what, 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 what was the name of that one again? I, I, I missed it. You got a little digitalized there. What, what was the, that was that name? Oh, sorry. Um, my, my sometimes. Uh, uh, I said Kazatomprom. Kazatomprom. Uh, it's it's okay. traded in London. It's the world's largest producer. It, it, it's in uh, Kazakhstan. Got it. Okay. Um, and they're the low cost producer as well. They pay a nice dividend. Uh, you know, I think they're going to be some of the first guys to bring new pounds online when, uh, you know, the price goes higher. I think they're going to make a lot of money. They're not hedged. Okay. Um, and you know, I own some little crappy juniors, but I, I don't want to ever publicly <laughs> admit to which ones, <laughs> you know, that, that's for you guys, you know, you, yes, you guys can course. go play around in that. But. Of course. Of course. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? That, that's very helpful. Now, now, in terms of that that comment about Sprott cornering the market, and and you know that whole aspect, what, do you see a do? Does it ever get to a point where where utilities just you know cry, cry wolf, and say, "Hey, listen, what Sprott's doing is uh, you know it isn't very nice, and you know this is this is a, a public good." It, do you see that situation uh, arising? Yeah, I mean, if they succeed in doing what I think they will, I think it's almost inevitable that they'll go to different government regulators yeah. and eventually they'll shut off Sprott. Uh, you know, I right. think, but I think that happens at a higher price. I mean, it's really hard to cry to a regulator when, uh, you know, the price of uranium is below the marginal cost of production. Remember, you know, 
what you need to look at is the, the price it costs to bring 180 million pounds a year online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're not looking at, uh, you know, Kaz Adam prom that's, you know, $10, $12. You're looking at the guy that's sitting there at 180 and that's yep. 60 or 70 even. And so, you know, the price is about 50% more just to, uh, you know, have those mines break even, but no one's turning on a mine and spending a lot of money to break even. So you really need a hundred for, you know, some guy to go to his bank and say, look, we're going to turn this mine on that's high cost. And so, no, I think you're going to need a much higher price. And, you know, I think, you know, these guys need to be making way too much money for the government to step in. So yeah, you, yeah. You, have, so you have some time here. Okay. You, know, you probably have you know, quite a lot of time, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good question here on on YouTube. I'm mean, like a ton of comments. I just got to make sure I'm I'm working through this. But just in terms of uh, China, and any thoughts on how they will? Um, obviously, commodities are super important for that for them, and uh, they they like to ensure they they have a clear clear line of supply. Do you know how they would act in this kind of market? Well, look, they've been stockpiling uranium for years. They're no dummies. Uh, they know that if you build a lot of nuclear power plants and you have no way to fuel them, you're fucked. <laughs> Like, right, right. You know, unlike our government that has no plan, they really can't make it from you know lunch to dinner. Uh, those guys have five-year plans. They have ten-year plans. They they they're stockpiling uranium, and um, you know if the price goes up, they have enough uranium. They're not going to care. They'll probably just keep stockpiling it. Yeah. Remember the cost. If, if uranium is a hundred, or uranium is two hundred, or uranium is twenty-five, it doesn't really matter to the no. cost. I mean, your risk is you have this multi-billion-dollar piece of equipment that you can't operate if you don't have uranium. And so, no, I think the Chinese will just keep stockpiling. And I don't think the Chinese are going to turn around and sell it for a profit because there's, there's not enough money involved in it, you know, versus you know the risk of running out of electricity. Yeah, yeah, which which is basically they're an industrial production powerhouse. That's what you're. That's what you're risking here, right? You're not. You don't want to get spec speculative on, uh, you know, stockpiling. So you 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 want to you want to make sure that you keep the power on. Yeah, absolutely. I I just think China will just keep buying. They they have no choice. In terms of so, thank you. So that I think that's like super helpful. I, hopefully, everyone, you know, I, I'll scan questions if there are any further questions on the uranium one. I think that's you know that everyone's here. That's the you know, that's the main event, and it's the it's the it's the trade of the hour, if you will. And and you know, and we'll probably it'd be great to like reconnect on that one too. Like as this plays out, I, I'd love coming. I'd love to like you know you know hear your play by play as time goes on. Um, any other pressing trades that you see that you're like this? These are another couple big trades that I see on the horizon that are. As attractive as uranium is, is uranium the top spot? And you know, you're there. It, 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 give me your like list of ideas that you think are, are playing out really nicely right now, be it oil or you know whatever else you're looking at. So I'm super excited about uranium. You know, I just tell people when it goes from 30 to 50, it's probably gonna you know see 40 before 60. That's just the way markets work. Uh, right. But you know, I'm, I'm I bought it. I'm not trading around it. I just want to be long. Um, in terms of uh, other commodities, I'm really, really bullish oil. Yeah. I think uh, the world has kind of declared war. Oh, the Western world has declared war on oil producers. And if you make it really hard to produce oil, there's going to be less oil. And the world's decided that they're going to keep stimulating because it's popular voters. And so the demand for oil will keep going up and uh, the supply will stay constant or go down. And eventually there's going to be a problem. Um, it's, it's inevitable. And, you know, as people start flying again, as, you know, more oil usage comes back, I think you're going to learn that uh, OPEC has less supply than they thought they yeah. did. A lot of the IOCs will actually see declining production because they're not reinvesting. You know, a lot of the shale guys aren't really reinvesting. Can you I have to invest now for oil in five years. Can I ask you a question on the shale, right? Because uh, obviously, 
Uh, you know, we've, we've seen a reduction of production there. But again, debt was a huge part of the reason it really became prolific. And when you look at yields right now, it, are we seeing a strike right now among debt investors not giving these guys any more capital? Like, I'm just kind of curious why we're not seeing, um, you know, money flowing back. It, it, may not, it doesn't have to be equity per se, but I'm not, curious why debt investors aren't kind of like, hey, here, I'll give you this for what? I'm just kind of curious what, you know. Because, I, I mean, hundreds of billions were lost. I mean, <laughs> right. these guys literally drilled holes and they put a dollar in the ground and they waited five years. They took 50 cents back out of the ground. And meanwhile, they, you know, they, they, they took the money and they, they blew it on, you know, fancy jets and partying and they just wasted billions of dollars. I mean, people aren't giving them any money. They, <laughs> well, it's kind of hilarious. But debt investors were getting bamboozled by half cycle economics forever. I, I just I guess it takes a certain amount of love of money loss to finally click in right i guess you know it, it, it must it must be yeah, that right now but also think of who the debt investors are they tend to be you know mutual funds pension funds those guys aren't allowed to own oil bonds anymore you know because right. the esg thing and so yeah. who's gonna buy it you know it could be someone like me who runs a hedge fund and my you know return profile i mean i need to make good money you know I, i'm not going to show up at six percent or eight percent i mean right you gotta give me something in it's with a two in front of it to even get me excited and it better be convertible as well. Like, this is my return profile versus my other opportunity set. And so the cost of capital has gone up a lot. And I think a lot of these uh, energy companies realize the cost of capital will keep going up. And they're really focused now on not growing, but on using the cash flow to pay down debt, yep. eventually pay dividends. You know, they, they've pissed off people for a decade. It's been, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, two good quarters before they, you know, win back to love. So I think it's going to go a lot slower. I also yeah. think they've drilled a lot of the tier one inventory. I think that a lot of the energy service companies, I mean, they beat up these guys so bad. Yeah. And so they stopped investing in, you know, frack stacks and drill equipment, let go of crews. I think when they reboot this, their cost structure is going to be higher. Um, you know, you don't have this cutthroat competition anymore because yeah. they bankrupted everyone. Right. And so I, I think, you know, those wells are going to, you know, lateral feet are going to cost more. It's going to basically take your break even higher. It, it all makes a ton of sense, right? You know, it's just once you get, once that starvation of capital happens, that's when, you know, you, you, you come back to your break even higher. Like it, it basically right sizes the industry. It's got, and the industry's got to go through it. It, it. That point you made about dividends is interesting. I really think commodities could be a phenomenal source of income uh, again, right? But uh, you know, but prices have got prices got to get much higher, obviously, to deliver that. Right. I mean, look, most of the commodity companies last decade they promised growth. They said we're going to grow our you know barrel production. We're going to grow you know whatever the metric is, and they all went bankrupt. Now people say, show me the cash flow. If you want capital, I want a dividend. It's not about growth. I mean, shrink into your dividend if you have to, but give me that dividend and. No, I just don't think you're going to see a big supply response in the U.S. I mean, besides, we talked about it already. Los Angeles, they don't produce much oil, but, you know, they're the first of many to just say, okay, you guys are done here. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, they, they, they cancel, you know, but they're canceling pipelines. Look, the, the price of that gas has gone crazy. America is so lucky to have the Marcellus because it's some of the cheapest nat gas in the world. Yeah, and they yeah. can't produce any more of it because they can't ship it out. It's the dumbest thing possible. Yeah. Um, it's just ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but I mean, who's going to go invest if you don't know if you have pipeline capacity, if you don't know, you know, if you know, you, you buy some acreage, what if they say, oh, you can't get permits anymore? Like, or they take away your permits. 
Yeah, yeah. Or they, they, you know, you thought your break even was here, and they add a carbon tax, or they add a you well, know, yeah, this like tax it, or that tax. Yeah, it, it just it it really is. You know, all of it just speaks to inflation across the board. You know, whether you're adding the carbon tax and and this ESG squeeze, you know, that you're talking about, it's coming from both sides, right? It's it's starving the capital that's going into this sector, but secondarily, you you got you got overregulation on the other side. It it, it really is setting up in in a. In a in an amazing way, right? That that ultimately would feed into inflation, not over months, over years, over the coming many years, right? Right. I mean, look, it takes, I mean, a lot of these long cycle projects take five or 10 years. You got to invest now for next decade. But what I, I think will happen, and you know, I always try to be a couple steps ahead here, is I think it'll be very difficult to be an oil company here in North America. Yeah. I think uh, the oil companies and the capital, they'll go to places where no one cares about the environment, where, you know, poor countries, there are no rules, people need jobs, people need money, you know, and I think you're going to see this uh, go offshore because, you know, what we've learned about poor countries is they change the rules all the time on you. So you're going to see guys and, you know, they're not going to go do a lot of onshore stuff, a lot of infrastructure, they're going to go offshore, they're going to throw down a drill rig, they're going to produce. Tax rules change. They're just going next door. Yeah, they go yeah. somewhere else. And, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more production from places like Guyana, Brazil, you know, right, Angola, right. Nigeria, like all of West Africa, places where they just don't care. Well, and, you, you know, you know it, it, and you know, further to that, it's going to be. It's not going to be multinational oil companies because the shareholders won't allow them to do any of that. It, you know, it, it it'll end up being China, or you know, it'll be, end up being states that that are involved so ultimately the the net byproduct of all of this is a worse environmental outcome perversely right because before you at least had safeguards you know you you were were looking at best practices but now it just goes to outlaw come on resource extraction right it's it's going to be a total mess um you know environmentally mess just a total mess anyway and you know america loses its uh you know energy you know sustainability and sufficiency But I think the winner, you know, I was going to say I own a lot of a company called Valeris. They're the largest uh, owner of offshore drill rigs. Okay. I think they're ultimately going to be a winner of this. You know, that, that's kind of where I'm putting my money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think oil prices go higher. I think drilling economics offshore, uh, you know, stay the same, get better. I think they lease out their whole fleet. Right now, a lot of their fleets are doing nothing. And I think they make a ton of money. Yeah. And you can buy a bunch of this equipment at 10 cents on what they paid for it. Now, <laughs> when you buy something for 10 cents in the dollar, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, eventually it probably goes back to being worth what they paid for it. And right. I don't know. I own stuff like that. So, Cuppy, do you, so as you see the oil price go higher, the other side of that too is that it, it, it obviously makes a marginal, uh, you know, mar- the marginal economics of electric vehicles and the like go higher as well. Are you doing like a parallel invest- investment there? Like, do you see like an opportunity to get into solar and stuff where because it was so deeply uh, unprofitable that, you know, <laughs> the, the delta just goes significantly higher or you just think that it's, I, I'm just trying to think, you know, are you thinking uh, other ways to play this as well? Honestly, I'm, I'm just focused on the things that have been starved for capital. I mean, there's always capital yeah. going into solar. There's a lot of really That's smart right. people looking at it. I don't have any yeah. edge. Look, if you could yeah. buy a drill ship that cost $800 million to, to build back when steel was a lot cheaper, and you could buy it today when steel's gone up a few times, and you could buy it for less than $100 million, you'd be dumb not to, you know? As long as you think that this drill ship will be used again in the future. I just like stuff like that. I don't know how to drive a drill ship. I don't, I don't even know anything about a drill ship, really. I just know that I'm buying something really cheap. I don't know what solar technology is going to change next year. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm not smart like that. I, 
I try to avoid hard questions. I, I just know that, yeah. you know, eventually my drill ship will be obsolete because there'll be a new one that comes, but the new one's not coming until, uh, you know, all the existing ones get used up. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just know how this works. <laughs> Uh, it, it makes a ton of sense. A couple, listen, man, it's it's been a phenomenal conversation, and I'd love to have you come back, talk through more ideas. Uh, just um, so if people are looking for event-driven catalysts, you have the Cuppy's uh, event-driven monitor. Could you talk just about that and how investors can get access to that and, and what exactly it does? Sure. Uh, go to uh, ke.com. That stands for Cuppy's event-driven monitor. We track about 20 event-driven uh, strategies. These are uh, opportunities where something's changing in the cap structure, the business strategy. You know, uh, we, we've had some huge winners out of it. We have a free four week free trial. So you, have, you risk nothing by trying it. And right. you know, I, I write about you know, all the interesting stuff there. And like I said, we cover a ton of stuff. That's awesome. Uh, you can also find me at my blog at, at Adventure Capitalism. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, those that were in the event driven monitor saw the uranium trade. Like, you know, that, that was an opportunity that popped up out of there. Yeah, we talked about it like a week before I talked about it publicly. Um, you know, like if something's interesting is happening, we, we try to flag it. You know, it's not just me, it's actually a decent sized team of us now. And right. we're looking to hire some more people. Uh, you see something interesting, we're going to talk about it in Pedham. You know, we talked about quite a lot of these actually that have done quite well. So awesome. you know, there's a reason people stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. Coffee, thank you so much for taking your time. Uh, talking us through the uranium trade, talking us broader through the commodity complex, uh, what you're looking at, your inflection, uh, inflection-driven investing. Thank you very much, Cuppy. Uh, we'll we'll do it up again soon. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it.